0: we hope everybody enjoyed our last episode with experienced hosses negotiator kevin taylor before we introduce today's guest here is a snippet of what to expect
1: so i think there's there's a real key area here to look to improve around how how we understand how people learn, what mate, motivates people, how we get the, the close relationships, how we maximize people's potential, how we galvanize a group of players together to be more than some of their parts, how we listen more, how we listen better. Those types of personal human understandings, I think, are, 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 are more important.
0: We're excited to welcome Phil Church onto today's episode of The Golders Podcast. Phil is currently senior professional game coach development lead at the FA where he is heavily involved in delivery of both the FA Pro Licence, Technical Director's Course and much more. Prior to coming to the FA almost five years ago, Phil was previously Head of Coaching at Norwich City and a coach educator at the PFA. Today he share some information on his role and what he believes is important at the highest level.
2: Hi Phil. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you as well. Uh, welcome to the Goldust podcast. Uh, like every single podcast that we've done so far, we always ask one one question, and that is to us, Goldust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people for the greater good. What does Goldust mean to you?
1: So I think Goldust is insight, it's knowledge, It's experience that isn't that easy to come by. So I think it could be an experience. It's got to have a level of uniqueness or something lifted to the highest levels of the game. And, And when you get that insight, it makes a difference. It's not the norm. It's not the typical. So it can be an experiential piece. It can be something you experience yourself that gives you that insight, or it can be sharing that with others. But I think it's the something that, the, the 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 real difference maker that makes you makes you go, wow. Well,
0: Phil, can you share with us your backstory um, of your playing and coaching journey to date?
1: Sure, yeah. So I was a professional player, but very briefly, uh, I was a, a trainee with Norwich City. Um, I did two years um, with them uh, and didn't get a professional contract. So I went to Stockport County as a professional, uh, but I was only there one season and then the second season, I was playing in the reserves at Oxford, uh, played a little while for Fulham in the reserves. And by the time I was 20, I was playing on league So trying to work out what to do with the rest of my life. I went back to some studying, uh, did A-levels, went to university. Um, and while I was studying at university, got involved with coaching. Um, I took a part-time role coaching with uh, the community scheme at West Ham. So I was at university in, in London. Um and then I went. I came to the end of my. It was a sports science degree, um, and they offered me a role. So I took a, a full time job with West Ham, worked in their community scheme. I led on a um, a social inclusion program, uh, which taught me a lot. Retrospectively looking back, dealing with um, key stakeholders, managing teams of people, um, working with some really you know difficult to reach groups of people. It was. Um, fantastic education for me at the time over my seven years at west ham i worked in the academy i got involved in coach education um and then i was offered a role at the pfa so i, I left west ham went to the pfa as a, uh, a coach developer and i spent seven years doing that again it, it taught me a lot i had to lift my game so i had to make sure now with the people that were coming through my care uh, or current or former players um and that lifted my um expectations as well as I had to step up in terms of understanding the game, being able to teach the game at the highest level. So I've spent seven years at, at the PFA. Then I went to Norwich City as head of coaching, uh, which was terrific. Worked there closely with the academy um, and um, good links within the first team space. And then I left Norwich City after three years and I'm, I've been at the FA for for the last four and a half.
2: Well, Phil, just give us an insight as to what you're doing currently with the FA.
1: Uh, so I lead um, on coach development in the senior game. So I lead a, a small team of coach developers. Um, we work within the professional game team of coach development within the FA. And our remit is specific in being centred around the senior game. So the, the the mission statement is to increase the number of English qualified coaches, managers, leaders working at the highest levels of the game. So English qualified means you come through the English pathway. Um not necessarily English, but come through the FAs English pathway. So, so that's the mission statement. Um, the, the work program in my remit is essentially it's three courses and three programs. So we have the UA for A license, the UEFA Pro license, the FA's technical director course, and then we have three programs. So there's an alumni program for holders of the Pro license or Tech director course. We have a player to coach program and we have a high potential, high performance set of programs as well. So essentially there's those sort of six key areas within the team. But like I said, I work within a wider professional game team that includes women's national coach developers. It includes uh, a youth coach development team. It includes grassroots coach developers. So it's a a big piece of the FA's education.
0: So you've just talked about somewhat part of your role there and you you lead on several courses for the fa one of which is the technical directors course what type of people does this course attract and and also what are the prerequisites to being accepted onto it
1: it's interesting because it's one of the few courses that we run that's specific to essentially to one job um so In terms of the people it will attract, it will attract people who are doing the job, so who are sporting directors, technical directors, directors of football. It will attract some of those. We have some of those on on each cohort. And then it will attract people who are aspiring to be or are interested in that role. Um, In terms of backgrounds, they vary, but they'll come from academy managers um, as well as those currently holding the position. They'll come from heads of recruitment, but there will also be other leadership positions that people who – apply for the program come from but essentially the idea is it's centered around one one role um so yeah so we have some criteria and an assessment process one of those is actually if you're if you're doing the job so if you're english qualified and you are doing the job part of our remit is to help you do it well so that you can succeed and flourish and and continue you know there's that part of it so that's that's one of the criteria that might get you through to some of the stages in the application Uh, a pro license holder might be one other, um, the level four. So, within the pathway uh, of some of the programs we have at the FA, it sits uh, at the top of the talent ID pathway. So, if you hold the level four talent ID course and you've completed that one, there's an application for, uh, opportunity for you there.
2: It sounds like t- quite quite an intricate course that one, Phil. Uh, how is it structured? What does? What's the process? Uh, take us through a. Uh... If you like a whistle stop tour of what it looks like from start to completion sure so it's a
1: leadership decision making management program and we, we we align that to our ua for pro license so that's where we're pitching it so it is a leadership decision making management program um what we have essentially is four themes each theme is four days Um, And they're all centered around leadership. So um, leadership and developing culture, leading high performing teams, leading in the boardroom, leading the future game. They're the four key modules. Each of those is four days. Um, There's also a study visit, which actually we're going on next week, um, which is a sort of a, a condensed, a focused period of time where we take the cohort outside the UK to experience a set of high-performing environments, teams, organisations together for a slightly longer period of time. And then there's the the graduation pieces where they are assessed at the end of the programme where they'll present their final project, so their independent study project that they'll work on over a period of months towards the end of the programme. Other than those two pieces, it's the four themes. The four themes are um, split into two two days. And the way I've set it up is that the first two days are at St. George's Park. So when we start a new theme, Leading and Developing Culture, for instance, we'll do the first two days of that theme together at St. George's Park. Um, and that will involve a number of different parts of the jigsaw puzzle. There'll be some group discussions and peer-to-peer learning. There'll be some expert input. There'll be some shared problem solving when we're together. Um, then there's a break and typically six to eight weeks before the next two days of the same theme. During that break, they'll receive at least one in-situ um, tutor support session, usually more than one. And the idea of our our a key part of our ethos is a personalized and connected feel. so what what we've got essentially is we've got periods of time when we're all together. We've got periods of time where we're in smaller groups because they can be more agile and go after some more specific content. And then we've got the individualized nature of a one to one part. So there's the three areas within the course. When we're at St George's Park, everyone's all together. Between that piece and the next part of the same theme, there's an individual part to it where the tutor goes out and meets that learner in their context, at their club, at their place of work. And that's where it becomes a bit more about them and not the course. So when we're together, then if I'm going to support somebody at their club and they're working in that club as a technical director, it's more about them, their wants and needs, their challenges, their successes on a daily basis, looking at the context that they're working in every day. So it becomes more about them. Um, And as well as that, there's a tutor group. So each tutor on the on the program will have four or five of the learners that they'll meet together in between each of those blocks as well. So that there's a, a coming together of a small group. And again, as I said, that can be a bit more agile. They can have a more focused area that they perhaps want to go after as a small collective that that can be a little bit quicker, a little bit more reactive in a positive way. So there's those three areas. Then what happens is we come together again for the same theme, but we're not at St. George's Park. And that's where it becomes experiential. So if we're leading a developing culture, the example, we went to Harlequins and we took them to experience that environment with Harlequins. We had exposure to the general manager, the head coach, the players, the players' leadership groups. the the head of academy development, the head of sports science, the head of medical, and we get a feel and an understanding about how they work, but it's experiential. We we try to immerse them in that for that period of time. So that's what happens for each of the four themes. So they get four different themes, partly the jigsaw puzzle of different experiences together at St George's, partly experiential, the individual nature, and the small group nature.
0: we have touched on, obviously, what the, the course entails and different aspects and elements of it and that little bit there about them going to Harlequins which obviously settle from a sporting standpoint but will obviously be very different too um from from what you've seen in the experiences that you've come across what correlation is there between like a high performing business environment and a football environment
1: well my experience is is that there's usually some um, and you need to do some due diligence on where you're going and why so that you know why you're going and how it links and what the learnings might be. Um, but but I haven't been anywhere with a group where we've come out and gone, wow, that doesn't fit anything we do at all. It's dealing with people. It's, it's high performance. It's succession planning. It's managing multidisciplinary teams. It's future-proofing. It's how does data interact with what we're doing. So any of these areas will fit within a different context whether that's sport or business or other industry, usually. Now, our job is to unpick that, and I mean our job as tutors and, and my role is to make sure that we are – we're not going as tourists, we're not going to look at, wow, this is bright and shiny, isn't it fantastic and different. We need to make sure what what's a learning. So when we leave, what are our key takeaways and how can we apply that as a group? And there always are some because, like I said, it's about looking for the transfer of information that, that will fit into some of the areas, whether you're dealing with people, high performers – Um, performance days training programs it all fits somewhere
2: so you
0: have to decide prior to where you're going what dictates your decision on where you're going to go a few things that's a good question
1: I, I think partly the theme clearly so one of the uh if i, if I use the analogy of harlequins when we looked at what had happened through previous season with harlequins it was particularly interesting how they changed their culture mid-season and some of the leadership groups that they had and then had some real success we were interested in that so partly it will be around um the theme that we're going after at that particular time partly it'll be around um the the group that we've got so we've got to make if if we're going to stand by our intention to be personalized and connected we need to make it as personalized as we can when we're all together as a group so we'll look at the demographic of the group that we've got we'll look at what their experiences and their current roles might be and then and then we'll look at where we might be able to offer a different opportunity and then the the third area would be the highest level we can get so we're pitching this at the, the the highest level we can get so if we can get access to Um, The championship winners in rugby, if we can get access to a Formula One team that are doing really well, if we can get access to an innovative um, data technology group that are are breaking records in their field, then we'll do that. So we'll always look for the highest levels of performance that we can get access to.
2: Feedback appears to be eye on the list here because of the previous question that David posed and the, the answers that you've provided there, Phil. How much importance is put to feedback? based upon the visits, based upon the individuals that you have within each individual group.
1: Feedback from the learners.
2: For sure. I mean the feedback from learners, feedback from the visit, because obviously that'll help steer where the candidate goes next with their yeah. own individual bespoke learning. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's central to our thinking. So so we would um, our terminology would be sense making. So, so the so what now what piece. So we've we've gone and experienced something. So that's great. But now what? What makes the difference? So the the sense making of that is a level of feedback where we'll we'll actively uh, organize sessions to do that, so that that becomes part of the feedback. It wasn't. Again, I go back to my maybe my phrase is we're not going as tourists. We're going to learn some insights and gold dust. Right. So what what are we picking up? How are we using that? How does that help us get better? So there's something in the process that we actively promote and and, uh, deliver and present with the group Um, in terms of them individually. I think because we've got this individualized approach, that's where we'll try to get the individual feedback regularly through a, a connected uh, relationship with their tutor who goes to see them regularly understands them personally and gets that personal feedback but also within the group the tutor groups are good at that so we'll run feedback sessions within those tutor groups post block so part of that first conversation with the tutor group will be about so come on then we did this last time what have you what are you using what's resonating what's what are you what are you leaving because you don't think it fits and we'll have those discussions and unpick that together the peer-to-peer part is really key with all that we do actually but in this instance it's um, it's really important that the group get that because they really want that they want to be discussing and problem solving and and throwing ideas around with the others on the course because they've got as much more insight than we have so we recognize that and we facilitate that too
2: so after completing the course what will it allow candidates to do
1: it's a good question so we position it as to be able to uh take an opportunity if offered to become a technical director so there's a number of parts to the to the answer, I think. One would be the selection process is, is fairly robust. So there are some criteria, but there's also a selection process that we, we have, which is actually replicated with the UEFA Pro licence. So they'll come to St George's Park as part of the assessment process, and they'll go through a series of exercises. And um, while they're going through those exercises where Um, trying to draw out and look for certain competencies, certain skills, traits, leadership areas that that, that they're demonstrating. They may be potential, they may be proven while they're doing. them. So we're looking for those areas. And so it's a leadership programme. So when they've completed the course, the intention would be that they have uh, a good opportunity to demonstrate to an employer that they have the competencies, the experience and the qualification that allows them to take that role at a high level in a football club.
0: So you also lead on the Pro License course, uh, the UA for Pro. So they're two very, very highly sought after and, and obviously very high qualified courses. What are the differences between the UA for Pro and the Technical Director course?
1: Uh, I'll answer the question by saying the similarity. So they're both leadership decision-making management programs. So they're pitched at that level. The difference is the the roles that they um, are more specifically designed for. So the UEFA Pro License more specifically for coaches and managers, the technical director course more specifically for technical directors. So the differences are more nuanced in the detail of the work that we're going after. One example would be there's more uh, input for the Pro License around tactics and strategies and player development. Than there would be on the technical director program. There isn't none on the technical director program, but likewise on the technical director program there'll be more focus around governance, legal issues, um, managing up. Um so there's there's some nuances that are different. But they are all centered around football, and that's that's obvious, given it's the UFA qualification. But the differences would be in the, the detail of the program and some of the key areas that, that are more specific to the roles of manager coach or specific to that of technical director. So there's similarities, um, but there are some specific differences based on the roles.
2: So what is the structure for the Pro Licence, Phil?
1: Similar but different. So it's themed, there are seven modules. There is an assessment process at the start like there is the assessment process at the start of the tech directors. There's the graduation and the project presentation, which is similar to the tech directors. Um, The other similarities would be how it's organized in terms of everybody together at St. George's Park or elsewhere, small tutor groups in between modules and individualized support from a tutor in between modules. That's the same. Um, But the blocks are or the modules are themed again all the way through uh, for different themes. So some of them are based on leadership. Some of them are based on high performing teams. Some of them are based on tactics and strategies. So there's the specific themes through. Um, One of the differences is it's not themed in two, two days. There's a block of work. There's a module, typically two or three days. Then there's a break. Then there's another module of a different theme. Then there's a break. Then there's another module of a different theme so it's it's structured slightly differently, but the ethos beneath it is very
0: similar uh, how is it assessed uh, which one both the, the pro license sorry
1: so a number of ways um the first and most obvious is attendance um if you want the qualification, you have to turn up, so that's part of it so you, you might find that you know easy, but you know that has to there's a there's a commitment to it and we, we front end that somewhat as well but um there's Throughout the program, we build in tasks uh, and they're appraised. So there's different ways that they're appraised. Sometimes they're appraised by the tutor individually. So part of the remit for me going in and supporting somebody on the pro license might be to appraise their um, pre-match planning and then the application of their plan during the game. So I might spend some time with them. And then we might have a discussion, a professional conversation afterwards. We might discuss what went well, what they were trying to get out. Did they see that? So some of it's done through individualized nature of that relationship some of it's done more formally so the program is a competency-based program as well so throughout the 18 months each candidate each learner has to demonstrate a set of coaching competencies and a set of leadership traits and the job of the tutor is to pick those out through that time with their learner through individual interactions when they're with them in the club time when they're on the course at st george's park when they're away on a study visit together, and that's an ongoing conversation with that learner. The learner isn't apart from that; they're 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 a part of it. So that's that individualised place. And and so through the program, the, uh, the 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 tutor will support that learner through the the, the competency, saying, "Okay, look, I saw your team play on this uh, on this game on this date. I thought you did this really well. This really well." And I love that. Now, here's what did you think about this? But I'm not sure you got out of it what you wanted to. And as they're having that conversation, they can be looking at some of those competencies. And then the last way is the final project. So a key part of the program is the independent study project. They get six months um, or so to uh, prepare that, to research that. To write that up and then to submit and present it, and that's that's appraised at the end with a, a peer, a group of peers and uh, experts from the game. We'll will we'll, we'll organise that as panels for presentation at the end of the program.
2: Based upon assessment here and wherever the competencies that each individual candidate bring to the party, but who assesses the assessors? So there's
1: there's two ways we do it, um, or three, I suppose. So what one would be. Um, partly me and partly the course lead so part of the course leads role is to lead that program and to ensure that they're leading the tutors within that so partly that um, part of it is internal moderation so there's a fairly small group of tutors that work within the uefa pro license so um, we have processes in place like steering groups where we're discussing and making sure that we're moderating. Um, and appraising appropriately and consistently throughout the programme across the tutor workforce. So we'll do some work in that space. And also internally within FA education, we have a a learning and development team who we will um, lean on for support around some of that work as well. So they can come in and ensure that what we're saying we deliver, we are delivering and they'll check and challenge the work we do regularly as
2: well. So the UA for A licence is predominantly a practical course whereby the pro license is not, it's, it's based upon study visits and the curriculum is slightly different. W- would that be a fair assumption?
1: Yeah, it would. The, the, the curriculum is different. The, the, the UA 4 A licence is um, predominantly coaching, coach, coach development, coaching and player development based. There's a lot of practical grass time, both at SGP and away in the same way the in-situ support works. Um, the UEFA Pro License uh, has that element within it. So on every module, there'll be around about, we aim for about a third of the program to be uh, technical tactical based. So there'll be, now that's not always on the grass. It might be that we set a technical tactical or a, strate- a strategy task with the group. They work on it together. That might be using data, that might be using footage. But they've also got that in-situ element. So part of the Pro License isn't me just going to see that uh, that learner and talking to them about the challenges they've got. is being with them on the pitch with their players, being with them on the pitch with their players during a game. So they get that appraisal and that coaching session with their players rather than transported in some players. And we run a session at St. George's Park where they're coaching and we appraise it that way. It's actually with their players. So there's more in the A licence for sure. The the pro licence becomes more centred around leadership, decision-making, management, but there is a, a still a, a good amount of technical, tactical work.
0: Phil, changing tech slightly now, so diversity and inclusion play a, a huge part in in today's society and although massive strides have, have already been made in the area, I'm sure there is much more to be done. Um, what are the FA doing to ensure they continue to make positive strides in this area? Sure.
1: Um, so I'm, the first thing to say is it's up front and centre with everything that we do at the FA, as it should be. I think there's probably three answers to the question. The first is, is a positive intent. So in that respect, it's it's in every conversation that we're having. So if that's around the development of the program or the selection of candidates or uh, another area where we're, we're marrying together the workforce of YCDs and senior game coach developers, that, that's part of every conversation. So that positive intention to have that um, as upfront and centre is the first part. The second part is there are specific people and uh, parts of our work that are centered around that specifically. So we work with some great people internally, whose role it is is to ensure that the the diversity and inclusion is is moving forward. So there's a there's a group of people whose specific role is centered specifically around that. And then the third part is where that becomes embedded in everything we do. So. Diversity inclusion isn't seen as a part of something else we need to talk about. It's part of what we do all the time. An example I might give for that might be the UEFA Pro License. So on this particular last program, um, it's now embedded within every module. It's not something that we parachute in, right, this module we're going to be doing, we're going to be talking about diversity and inclusion and why that's important. Through every module, it's embedded within what we're doing, not necessarily overtly. It might be part of the discussion or it might be overtly. So we might put something in that is relevant to the theme that we're going after and make that specifically around why that diversity inclusion piece is really important in here and how it fits. And then the next time it's more part of the discussion. But the point is it's a thread that runs through all of our work. And that's that's how we're trying to build it going forward. So it's specificity, it's intention, and then it's the embedded nature of how we're trying to do it with everything.
2: In your opinion, Phil, what areas of coach development do you think we need to steer toward? To help further develop the game, I think we have
1: to we have to make sure that we're always mindful of the highest levels of um, teaching and improving the development of the game. So whether that's the technical detail, whether that's the invention, whether that's the uh, the spirit of the game, the real technical detail the real tactical detail whether that's the 1v1 jewels whether it's around enticing whether that's around uh the the game within a game where you have got groups of twos and threes on a pitch uh, getting the detail of their movement the positioning how they're using and and leaving space whether it's there's something in that we have to make sure that we're always doing that because we've got to look to develop how we teach and how we play the game all the time to the highest levels that's the first thing we can't lose sight of that The second thing I think is probably the people. So the game fundamentally hasn't changed. There's 11 players on the pitch. The goal at each end, it's in the middle, it's at the end. And the idea is to score more goals than the other team, right? So that hasn't really changed. There's some changes in constraints and rules, but essentially what has changed is society. What has changed are the people. And the next generation are a bit different in how they learn maybe, or or how they interact with each other, or how they interact with others. So are we able to recognise that so I think there's there's a real key area here to look to improve around how how we understand how people learn, what motivates people, how we get the the close relationships, how we maximise people's potential, how we galvanise a group of players together to be more than some of their parts, how we listen more, how we listen better. Those types of personal human understandings, I think, are are, are, are more important as well.
2: Based off your your answer there, Phil, in, in terms of our how... How people now are interacting with each other and how we learn, the changes have been significant over, over the years. What specifically are the FA doing to actually enhance that uh, or to improve in those specific areas?
1: So it's a good question. I think well, one of the most obvious ways I would say is we, we offer a, a much more blended learning experience now and improving. Right. So maybe it was the pandemic, potentially. But in terms of how people uh, consume information now is changing. So the opportunity that provides is we don't always have to be all together in one place to learn. Um, So how do we share information insight? How do we prime the brain before they come to us? How do we give them information or send opportunities for them to problem solve together away from us before they come to us? So that helps us accelerate that piece when we're together. So there's something in that that we're really pushed further forward on for sure. Um, And that's demonstrating the content that's going out now through the FA. There's some some brilliant work being done and some technical details and other areas that are fantastic. So so that's one way. The other way I think would be an expansion of how we've started this personalized and connected nature of what we're doing. So that when you're on a course, of course, it's just a course and it only ever will be a course. So if you're coming to us on a UEFA A license, you're doing that course for a year and it's a part of your life. More of your life is in the club with your players. More of your life is with your family. So we recognize that there's so much that the course can do. Um, What we our intention is that it's not just a course, that it becomes more about you and your interactions with the world and what your aspirations are, where your strengths and weaknesses are, what your players like, what the context like with you and your club and how we can impact on that and influence that. So there is a course element to it. That course will stop at some point, but the relationship and the ongoing nature of the relationship and the support and, and the offer that we can provide, I think, is part of that. So it becomes more connected, more personal at the same time as how can we actually not depersonalise it, but but ensure that we maximise other opportunities for learning, for information, for insight, for shared problem solving, for small group work. So we're doing it in those two different spaces, I think.
0: In working in and around the, the pro game, what do you think is the most sought-after skill players look for from the coaches?
1: Trust. You, you gain trust in different ways. So trust is gained through consistency, trust is gained through competence, trust is gained through relationships and empathy and understanding. So there's the the one word of, how I, of what I think players look for the most is easy to say, but really multi-layered and really difficult to be an expert in all of them. So to make sure that you're engaged and interested with every player every day, to make sure that you understand their background, what motivates them, to make sure that you are able to improve them in certain areas of their game, that they feel that is valued, to be able to be consistent when you've lost six on the bounce and when you've won six on the bounce. There's lots in that that happens every day. And I think the tr- the players would wrap that up into a trust. Um, so I think it's that.
2: Mm, that's an interesting word, trust, because of the layers that actually help and the depth of... Trust required to get cohesion, to get teamwork, to build this, to build a journey, if you like. We're working together rather than actually this is your journey or my journey, it's our journey. So from that and working with players, and obviously you've worked extensively with 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 lots of coaches throughout year throughout your years, but through your experiences and from your toolbox of strategies. What do you feel every practice should contain?
1: Realism. So the game, as I said earlier, the game is fairly simple in its organisation, but the, the nuances, the, the, the permutations, the differences that can happen within any given game are infinite because something will be slightly different, which will change your decision or change your execution. Um, so I think it has to relate to something that happens regularly in the game. So in terms of your question to what should practice look like, it has to be centred around a part of the game um, that is that is relevant. Now, the, the context can change, the numbers can change, but it has to look somewhat like the game and be able to be applied and representative to the game. If it doesn't, if it wouldn't happen like that, if that doesn't, if that makes that execution different, that would be different. So, yeah, no, for me, it would be the realism to the game.
0: For you, Phil, as senior professional game coach, developer lead for the FA. What is one question you wish you were asked more frequently?
1: In my job, um, I, I think I would like to be asked more about the talent that I see. So I've been at the FA in my, in my job, I've been at the FA for four and a half years. And what I'm certain of is we have some amazing, talented, diligent, committed brilliant, innovative people coming through lots of different areas, whether it's coaching, A-license, pro-license, whether it's technical director, talent ID. We have some amazing people who are extremely talented and who have huge potential and who are actually working at extremely high, the highest levels of the game. Uh, And part of my role, I think, is to communicate that and to influence the key stakeholders in the game, to recognise that, because I I think it's demonstrated and I think we have some brilliant people. Um, And I I wish they asked me more about that.
2: If you had to write down a list of ideas that would help transform coach development, the game in general, what would be on that list?
1: That's a good question. I think I'd go back to part of my previous answer. I think I used to work with a guy called Paul McGuinness who who worked for us at the FA for a while uh, and at Man United for a long time. And he had this phrase about ensuring there was the spirit of football. And I think what that sort of encapsulates is a, a, a passion and an energy to to, to ensure that the the, the the reason we love the game is because of the nuances, because of the the differences that can happen, because of the competition, because of the technical brilliance, because of the surprises. And all of that has to be wrapped up and that has to be really part of why we're doing it. It's about the passion for it. And how it can affect the country. So I think one of the things that's interesting about the um, UK, particularly, I think, is that it, it, it's got such a connection um, to the to the wider society. It can be such a power for good because people buy into it, love it. Um, it's a big part of people's lives, and I I think that there's a, there's an opportunity there. So there's something in that, and I think what drops out of that is that. In order for that to be maintained, we have to be brilliant. We have to be pushing the envelope. We have to be looking for the next level. We have to be teaching it really well, playing it really well, coaching, mentoring. We have to understand it really well. And that's where the detail comes out. And, and, and you know, you're know, you looking for some of those areas that we I touched on briefly around the technical, whether it's execution or decision-making. Um, some of those areas, how do we make sure they're brilliant? So there's something in that we have to make sure exists and we continue to push. Um, and that's wrapped up in the spirit of football. And then I think there's something about again, I'll probably go back to people again. There's something about making sure that the, the people are the most important part because they're they're people first and player second or coaches second, or however that works. So how do we maximize and those those potentials? better how do we continue to make sure that we understand everybody well and their backgrounds and their motivators and their experiences and how do we make sure that we can knit that together well as a group and a team uh, which is where that diversity might come in because that's important we need it to be a diverse group of people who understand each other then we can maximize more so I think the people part and there's a lot of areas that drop down from that but it's about Really, those those parts around empathy, understanding, listening, motivating people, those areas, we have to make sure we can do that. Because if we can do that and we understand the game and can teach the game and can push the envelope in the technical execution skills, decision-making areas, then we've got both parts to it really well. I think it'd probably be those two.
2: The games evolved, were evolving as uh, as people. Obviously, the, the, the pandemic has actually helped share a different perspective now of how we deliver information because there are lots of stuff online there's face-to-face it's blended learning that you'd alluded to a little earlier but where, where do you think it's all going players are getting quicker faster stronger and it sounds like we're we're evolving also as a coach educational society what's the next things that we can actually aim to develop
1: I think one of the challenges we'll face is <clears throat> there's a number of parts of the game and the professional game is is growing um and the the commercialization the marketing the expansion of the audiences is growing so the game at a professional lever is growing is growing and that's that's largely a good thing um what what is also happening is you've got, at the other end of the scale, you've got the grassroots game and you've got the kids playing the game. And so how do we ensure well, the challenge, part of the challenge, I think, is in terms of where the game's going, how do we ensure that we make sure that all those people who are playing uh, participation, whether it's kids or adults across across the world, are able to continue to play and enjoy and experience the game that they want to experience, but also, strive and develop and get better in a context of maybe where some of them are trying to get to is changing massively it's becoming bigger it's becoming um uh, more financed the infrastructures are changing so that's going to be different to navigate that space but at the same time we want it to be we want the i go back to that that, uh, the 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 spirit of football part we want to ignite people's passion we want them to be in love with the game and in love with that competition and that getting better for getting better sake as well as all the other parts that are part of it so I think we've got to marry those two up and that might not be easy I think that's possibly part of the answer
0: well Phil on behalf of of my dad and I we would I'd like to to thank you for coming on with us today uh, really interesting to get. Insight into what goes on in in England and with the FA at the highest highest level in terms of educating the people at the highest level. Because I think that the two courses that we've alluded to, the technical directors and the the pro license, are probably the two highest courses that you can get in the respective fields. And it's been really really good to have you explain and go through that and and where you think uh, we're going with with uh, football in the country so again thank you very much we really appreciate your time today and uh, we look forward to speaking soon
1: thanks very much
0: thanks for tuning into the golders podcast today if you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed please do so your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, And also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.